0: Hi, listeners. Just a reminder that this is a part two, and it will not make sense without part one. So go back and listen to Monday's episode if you have not already. Also a reminder that this is a episode on a book from the Purity Movement. So it comes with discussion of the Purity Movement and evangelicalism and... Um, uh, instances of sexual violence and sexual abuse against women and children. So if those are not topics that you need in your brain today, feel free to join us again next week. But if not, this is a great conversation. We do actually have a good time, despite the subject matter. So uh, if you're still with us, enjoy the show. One, two, five, nine.
1: The preacher, servant leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the? I was telling Joe Beth that I, there's a chance that I blocked this this part of it completely out um, because this is this is blas. You're right; it's blasphemous in a very creative way, but like it's also like stoppingly blasphemous, right. like 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 somebody. And then the third is the crucifixion, but the fourth covenant. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, you've crossed. You've stepped out of Christianity, my friend. Like, like you're you're gone. <laughs> the fourth covenant is the virginity covenant. What are you talking about?
2: Yeah, and so it, it really puts the lie to the idea that like we're not concerned with literal virginity here, or that yeah. it's not unimportant because we've somehow your literal virginity is more important. It, it it supersedes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ.
0: Right. This is the kind of thing that like my teenage brain would have been like, it's in the Bible. It must be correct. And mm. it's just not. It's just yeah. not. Yeah. Bananas. And it's, I mean, but it does show you exactly how the purity movement, again, values people and, and like their whole idea of what salvation is, which is, to stay pure until you get married yeah she also several times throws out the term uh that people are like of marrying age and i was very concerned by that just because i don't know what she thinks being Mm. of marrying age is like i don't have that number in front of me but i also know that like there are bananas, fundamentalist people who think that like, you should be able to get married when you're 12. Yeah. So like I, it makes me nervous that she wasn't like when you're an adult or when you can consent or like anything along those lines, it's when you're of marrying age, which is a variable thing.
2: Yeah. And I'm not an expert on like legal things or anything, but it is a a problem that like child marriage in the U S happens a lot in like these sort of, a lot of times in like fundamentalist Christian settings, um, and it's often young girls to adult men as well. Yeah. Um, and, it's the, and it's this sort of justification, right? Of like, well, you've got to guard purity, like the only person you ever have sex with should be your husband. And so it's more important to be married to the only person you've ever had sex with than to develop into a, like a well adjusted adult.
0: yeah yeah and I I mean I'm fully willing to say that like the things that I prioritize today in terms of like what I think are most important about people are also shaped by like the life I've lived the the value system of the world around me et cetera, and so forth and even though I try my best to like Base what I value on what I believe to be true of like what what is good and holy, but at the same time, like it is very clear to me how broken the the value system is in here it's very clear to me like how hard they have to work at um at trying to make virginity the most important thing because it's just not across scripture it's just not (laughs) like patently on its face Um, and so i don't want to be like i am wiser or more more biblically educated than these people or like whatever you know like i don't want to be like full of myself but I think it is really safe to say that they have to mold all of this into the lie that they have, which is the that like that men should be men and women should be women, which means to be pure until they are given to men. And like, that's how they control the world, right? If they can control and force everybody into this like heterogeneous type of marriage um, and we all, and all of the women obey (laughs) and are subservient and Mm -hmm. and abide by the man's spiritual headship, then like, then they can control women. Then they can do what they want to continue to do as white men in charge of everything i like i don't know it it, like sets me off down i feel like the guy with the with the red strings on the board you know (laughs) like i feel bananas but also like this is what they did you know this is how how they maintain power
2: yeah and you know gresh is not necessarily um I, I think I may have taken notes of things that seemed like subtly holding up white normativity here, right? Um, but she's not like an explicit white supremacist or white right. nationalist, right? But if you dig deep into her world and the things she's teaching, they are tied together, right? Like she's mm-hmm. not un, unimplicated in that sort of political project. Right. I, you don't have to say that you're a white supremacist in
1: order to be a white supremacist. Yeah.
0: yeah the whole worldview is built around it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? I. I have. Uh, I've made some notes about what I consider to be some of the more deranged things in the book. <laughs> but um. But I don't want to usurp Beth's uh, bullet points.
2: Yeah, well, I have I have one question, sort of going off of what Joe is saying, and then. Um, but so, Joe, you were talking about I forget exactly how you put it, but I was thinking about the way that Gresh is really worried about putting human relationships before God. You're you're talking about like having like value systems sort of rooted in caring for people, right? Um, sure. it, yeah. it, it seems to me like. You know, the like Dana Gresh's worldview results in this sort of like topsy turvy priorities. In a way, it's it also strikes me as bad theology, right? That like trying to fit people into boxes and like prioritizing, prioritizing God over people to me feels kind of counter to the message of Jesus in some ways. And that like it is through other people that we're supposed to love God. Is at least that's my understanding. What would the how would the two of you sort of understand that sort of? value alignment.
0: Ooh. Um. Whew, I ooh. I I immediately think of like Bonhoeffer and his idea of Christ as like the one who is mediating between all of us and all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um uh Ethan, do you want to take this first?
1: Uh yeah, uh, so I think that there's I think that any bad theology is is a theology that fails to speak to like the human situation, or Mm -hmm. at least the created situation, um, if we want to get less anthro, anthrocentric. Um, and so like, I, I think that that means that you can still have really good theology. That is also very theocentric theology, Mm -hmm. right? That, that is a theology that, uh, the theologian is really trying to talk about God first or, Mm -hmm. or even trying to talk about, um, um, one's devotion to God as being the most important thing. I still think you can write very good theology doing that. Um, case in point, this, the, uh, uh, it's not really a case in point, I guess. This book is neither interested in God nor the human situation, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Like like it's, it's it both, you know, the fact of human reality and um you know whatever god talk is happening this are employed to serve what joe identifies as just like a structure of of you know sexual relationships right like everything everything is meant to serve that god Mm -hmm. is father in so far as the father's job is to um be a man for a for a woman who is not of marrying age You know, it all comes back to this of marrying age, getting married thing. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of my thought on it. I I guess I guess I'm sidestepping your question, Beth, and I don't mean to. Like, I don't think I I think in my reading of theology, both theocentric theologies and theologies that are not theocentric have the potential to be bad in the same way.
2: Hmm.
1: That's what I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm my gut says that any theology that um a la like john piper says that the only purpose of humanity is to be in a relationship with god and to worship god and that we should be fulfilled in our worship of god um and that worship of god is um both all consuming and very specific, you know, like everything in us needs to give glory to God. And there are only certain ways that you can glorify God. I find all of those theologies to be harmful and terrible. And I hate them, Mm. (laughs) which is why I get really angry at reformed people who lean in that direction, but also have like other good theologies um, or other good aspects of their theology. Like I find that to be really fundamentally flawed in that like i don't think that god domineers us in that way um and that we aren't subservient to god in in that way in that very harsh way that also like upholds hierarchies and like patriarchy i like i myself think of um our relationship with god much more we just interviewed uh sarah agnew a couple episodes ago and we talked about like call and purpose and and all that kind of stuff and thinking of it more as being in line with very very like flowery language but learning how to be in line with the divine dance and in step with the divine dance rather than being forced to abide by the divine roles Mm. you know like there's still space for creativity there's still space for you to be you in fact like the goal is for you to be the most you not the least you Mm. like you don't disappear you become more full of yourself And what the theology in this book needs you to do is to become uh, nothing. (laughs) It needs you to become like a Stepford wife, Um, it reduces you to your hymen. Yeah, so like that's something that I outright reject. But I I think Ethan's right that you can have good theologies that put God first and and primary, um, and your your relationships with each other flow from your relationship with God. So if you have a good relationship with God and are putting I don't know. Putting God first sounds weird, but like it can, you can do a theology that the direction flows either way. God Mm -hmm. commands us to love the poor. And so we love the poor, you know, and the more we um, are in relationship with God, the better we love our neighbor, but it can also go the other way. And it's very Wesleyan to have it go the other way as well, that the better we love our neighbors, the better we learn. We love God. Hmm. I think that you can tell me if I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. Nice.
2: I mean, I so Ethan, I'd love to hear your uh, most bananas takes. I, the only thing I really have left to cover is sort of updates on where Gresh is now, so I can have that be our ending then. Ooh, okay.
1: So so other than when she theorizes that perhaps the devil also doesn't know what he's doing, um, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of an amazing moment. Like, it's like talking yourself in circles to the point where everything you're saying doesn't make sense. The devil's out to get you. He has no idea what he's doing, but he's out to get you and he's winning. But 85% of the world's teenage girls don't listen to the devil. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, I'm confused then.
0: The devil is both the smartest, most sly creature that God ever made. And also the biggest dummy.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Also, God knows the secrets of death better than the prince of this world, but that's fine. I'm just saying you could have a much even her theology of the devil is actually not that strong. Right. Right? Like and and but that's always the problem with evangelicals. Evangelicals uh always work under the assumption that um the the worst thing the devil does is to get us to be atheists and to get us to have sex. Um uh the devil isn't responsible for climate change because there's no such thing and the devil isn't responsible for uh mass shootings that's democrats problems but anyway here is uh, that evangelical thing in general so one of my favorite takes is on page 76 she just finished her styrofoam cup or priceless teacup a thing and then and then she goes on what i would consider to be um one of her first like 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 stream of conscience what are you talking about i don't understand what you're saying where she says i've heard the saying every great love story ends in tragedy many times lately i'm like you just made that up
0: (laughs) (laughs) you made it up right now (laughs) yeah
1: is it when you said those words and then your ears heard your voice say those words over and over um (laughs) i just And and then and then the only and I love how literally the only love story she can think of that fits the every love story ends in tragedy mantra that she's heard many, many times is Romeo and Juliet. Right. Um, I also
0: love how she uses little women over and over again. And I'm like, my dude, that was written by a trans person. So try That's where I'm going. That's what I'm going with.
1: (laughs) And she's like, but I can come up with all kinds of stories that are about love that don't end in tragedy. And let me list a few. And I'm like, why? But why? What would be the point of naming little women? a story that is demonstrably not really about love. (laughs) At all. Um, Like, why name that? Or what about Sense and Sensibility? I don't know. Jane Austen has a lot of girls' hearts fluttering, and I don't know if you should be able – she has that written in the books, and I don't Mm. know if we should be reading that sinful stuff. Also, (laughs) like, these people aren't like – these aren't like Christian books. It's just very weird. It's that one bananas moment where I'm like – so she's got this bug in her, you know, in, in her butt where she's like, I have to, I have to talk about my favorite love stories. And one of them is not even a love story. Um, and then you, so you got sense and sensibility, then you got passion and purity, which, ooh, yeah, I know. Uh, and, and I'm like, but I don't get it. What is, what is the point of naming this at the very end? I guess it's about writing your story, right? Like she wants she wants you to write your romantic story like a crazy person, <laughs> um, uh, uh, and, and it's and it's just terrific. It's it's one of my favorite moments. Are sort of like, but why? Why these things? I don't get it. And then my other uh, favorite moment is when she's talking about the foul lines in chapters ten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's like, Let's talk about some boundaries. One way you can keep yourself pure is by not discussing sex, physical contact, or my physical desires with my boyfriend. Just what what are you talking about? then? Yeah. Like, like, what's what's on the agenda? I'm not saying you have to put out what I'm saying is all physical desires. Like, like just just sex ones or like when you show up and you go, I'd like to eat food. Is that wrong, too? Oh, I have to pee. I have sinned by telling my, <laughs> about my physical desires. Wow. It's just very strange. One way to stop yourself from being impure is by not communicating with anybody. I guess that's true.
0: I mean, it works. You become a um, closed off shell of a human who doesn't date anybody until they're 26.
1: Right, or I will not discuss. I know I'm I'm ignoring your your cry for help. I will not. Sorry. All right, I'm ignoring it. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, You you got out of it. You made it through.
0: I did. I did. I've never had anybody shut me down so quickly. (laughs) I usually get that dopamine rush of oh poor thing, and you just did it.
1: You're talking to the wrong person. I don't care. <laughs> I will not discuss marriage to him until he romantically and lovingly makes the commitment to ask me to marry him. I mean, not at all, right? But, like, what if what if he's got like a legitimate question? Like, hey, if we ever get married, would you want to have three kids or two kids? And instead, she's like, "Shut your mouth." <laughs> <laughs> I will not answer this. <laughs> but, but why? To keep yourself pure, I don't understand.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that is the another weird tension. Is it's you know think of your your perfect future husband and uh, don't date anybody who's not him, but also don't talk to him about being your future husband because that'll just make you want to fuck him. Like it's it's very very confusing.
1: Right, but also remember you you probably don't want to fuck him anyway because as we know. Eighty-six percent of all teenage girls really want abstinence-only education. God, and I'm like, but I don't. Uh, hmm, I don't know. I, I, those are honestly my two of my favorite moments, other than any time she quotes a book called she called she calls me daddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: I do love how um, entrenched the grift is in the book. Like there's a sidebar uh, and I, I was looking for something that Ethan was talking about and then I saw the sidebar. It's the In Search of a Princess workshop. That you simply must attend. If you don't feel like a princess, if you don't feel valuable, we can make you feel pampered. Which is another weird part of the book. She's like, if you were visiting me, I would treat you so well. I would get out my favorite lotions and I would massage your your hands up to your forearms. And I'm like, what are we doing? For a book that is not very scared of lesbians. That was some pretty good lesbian content. Like I I don't know what's happening here.
2: This isn't Like Lesbians just don't exist. They're invisible. And so...
1: Right. <laughs> yes yeah, well you can't have let the homosexuality ruins the entire thing why did i just say homosexuality um <laughs> how about how about i just stick with being gay being gay ruins the whole thing that'll be the soundbite for the episode um <laughs> um but but like i think that's why you know whatever books there exist about Home, about like lgbtq folks or about like same sex relationships from the evangelicals there's always this like not only a note of panic but and, and seriousness but there's always this note of desperation mm-hmm. and the, and there's always it always is framed using the same kind of tactics that's used in books like this like remember you know we all know this but like remember listeners like part of the thing that the only way sex can be a sin that we need to be scared of is if sex is actually really fun outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and so, the, you know grash is like sex is actually way more fun within marriage and it's not fun at all outside of marriage that being said it's a lot of fun outside of marriage because everybody seems to be doing it except for all the people who are not doing it and then when they be, when when books do talk about lgbtq stuff or or same-sex relationships they got to use the same tactic because it's sin, it's still quote, unquote, sin, and sin, the what the, the what they work under the assumption of is sin is always fun.
2: Mm.
1: And so Everything sounds just a little homoerotic, whenever they mm. start talking about this stuff in in it. And it always makes me chuckle a little bit, because I, I'm just like, boy, it just sounds like you're really into it. It sounds like, you know, Dana, it sounds like you'd really liked some women on women love. In your life. And that's fine. But like, the only problem is, is that you can't allow it to be fine. And so in the end, evangelicals just have incredibly inappropriate, unethical, same sex relationships outside of the public life.
0: Yeah, Mm yeah yeah that sounds right um my my only thought to add to that is that like they were very afraid of guys being gay in um the what was the one that we read the man's man's battle every man's battle the the
1: white Um, man's (laughs) bird
0: what did we read yeah they were very afraid of men being gay and i think that that goes along with what is talked about in Jesus and John Wayne that like the most important thing is for men to be men, and that's how we will take over the world. And then like women are just an afterthought, you know. As long as women aren't men, we're okay. And you also can't have like a baby out of wedlock if you're messing around with another lady. So like I guess that's okay. Maybe it's kind of hot. I
2: don't know. So like. I think it's just we don't they don't think of women as having desire, right? So when I say like, lesbians don't exist, or they're invisible, right? It's because like, they don't really think of women as having physical desire in the first place. They're like, sure, sure, some women do. But it's always kind of implied, like, you're a bit of a freak if you're like a really red blooded, heterosexual woman.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what I picked up from every man's battle, right? Like, that was one of my biggest shocks going to college was discovering that maybe maybe women who enjoy sex aren't totally insane Hmm. you know because i think that is the undertone i think you're right well then what does that make i I don't i know we're approaching the end but then beth like what does that make like grash what does it make dana like she at times I don't ever think she gets, I mean, she gets uncomfortable for, or makes me uncomfortable at times, but I don't think she ever gets like explicit. Like, I don't right. think this verges on the pornographic as it does in some other spiritual, like purity books, but like, I, she seems to be fairly open about her desires. Like, like how does then she fit into that?
2: Yeah. I mean, she seems to be fairly open. Um As we've, said and i'll get to in the wrap-up as well i mean she's not really actually open she's always kind of performing openness so it's it's just really hard to say it's hard to say anything about not that i want to speculate right about someone else's sexuality anyway um but it's just it's really hard to tell what's real with her right like i've asked Mm -hmm. myself reading this like how is she a grifter or a true believer right or like where on that spectrum is she and i i really don't know um yeah, I don't know. I I don't really know what to make of her personally, exactly.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and she keeps on saying throughout the book like why would God have called me to write this book? I like and like on one hand, it's that false modesty that you have to have, right? But on the other hand, it really kind of sounds like she didn't want to write this book. And so mm-hmm. I I really wonder what the behind the scenes thing was that got her to like be the person to write this. Yeah, but I mean she's she's definitely like a
2: businesswoman, right? Like she was doing workshops wow. before this. I to the extent that she says she doesn't want to write the book, I feel like that might just be like performative humility.
1: Hmm. I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I see the performativeness as well, or, or I think I see it too. I, You know, I'm almost always thinking that this stuff is a grift because even if, even if, you know, Dana Grash is a true believer, the publishers can't be the people making, right. you know, the money and, 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 mm-hmm doing all of this like that's i think that in in a post 20 at least post at least post 2016 world like we can't we can't work under the assumption we can't i don't think we can give generous reads to some of this anymore right Mm -hmm. like like we live in a world that that is basically what they are calling for when they realized oh well we're not going to convince these people of this stuff You know, we're not going to convince, like we failed to convince generations of people that, that the way to go is to invent a new, you know, what is ultimately new, right? Like a new form of, 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 you know, artificial patriarchal life, um, and and to say and it's always about white people right like Mm -hmm. the only people we're really worried about the only people's whose sexual purity we're really worried about are white people's sexual purity and really what we're trying to say is we want white people to breed within conservative um families
2: Yeah. yeah so that
1: we can continue not just to be uh you know uh, uh, just have the numbers but have then the cultural influence like it, it think about everything that happened when the when it broke that the white birth rate you know it was dropping well suddenly you just had people talk about how well we need to have more teenage pregnancies but only for white people right you know, like, like it's outrageous or or the oh well, people aren't getting married. Well, white people need to start getting married. Why? Well, it's a, it's so that we can save the white race, guys. Like that's the undertone. We're just we're just calling it, you know, God's family structure or or whatever, you know.
0: Yeah which is a historical fallacy right like there were families were never nuclear families that is an ideal that was made up in the 50s you know like this has never 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 been the ideal yeah 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 they're just making shit up um in order to control people um cool i uh before we get like the final final 411 on what's happening with dana gresh can i read you the top 10 comeback lines that are written in my copy of this book Ooh, yes so this is from the chapter that i think is titled training your tongue for dating
1: yeah (laughs) i love that title
0: very good very good classic double entendre oh gosh um and it's, it's it's almost as good as the point in time in the book where she's like your relationship has to be firm 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 and i'm like what is that happening anyway so at the end of this chapter she's like okay if things are getting ready to go too far you need to have your top 10 comeback lines ready to get that guy to back off and she gives you 10 like two of them already so the first one is isn't it cool that god is watching us every minute which like Okay, cool. Um, I literally just saw like a VBS song that's about how God is watching you every minute. And I'm like, they're, they're doing it to the kids now. Even worse. Anyway, uh, nine is, hey, have I told you that my father dusts me for fingerprints when I get home from a date? Why is your father dusting your entire body? This doesn't mm-hmm. seem safe. Um, but those are the two that she, that she suggests. The ones that are in the book are, that are written in are, excuse me, I
2: think these are your lips. Goodbye. <laughs> what
1: is that what
2: i That's think a these are your ball. lips like middle school girl comeback. i love that
0: right uh the next one is i think these hands belong to you which is funny i could see that being like just picking up and dropping a hand i think this belongs to you that could happen in real life but the next one is my dad shoots first ask questions later <laughs> so good uh number five is um no again very middle school number four when did i give you that impression which i think is also pretty good if we're just being firm for yourself and boundaries on a date that you don't want to go further um the next one is no trespassing which i think is funny um the number two is whoa boy leave room for jesus whoa And then number 1 is I'm claustrophobic and I throw up if you get too close.
2: <laughs> is
1: this is this for a boy? Now here, let me maybe I need to ask you guys this. Is this what is this for a boy that you're interested in? I feel like my dad, right? Like when I the story I told when I when I explained to my dad that I was supposed to act like a giant idiot in order to keep girls from wanting to have sex with me, my dad kind of looks at me and she go he's like But like you're not going to act like a giant idiot when it's a girl you like, right? Like you're (laughs) going to (laughs) – you're going to be a normal person. Like is this what you're supposed to do when you're on a date with the guy that you've – who fits all of your boxes?
0: Yeah, well, you're not supposed to date anybody if they don't fit your boxes.
1: Okay. (laughs) You
0: you want him to stop um, moving you up the uh, the the physical intimacy ladder, which the physical intimacy ladder, I think, is in the chapter before this. But it was just very funny because like one of the last steps is heavy petting over clothes. And I'm like, who uses these words? But yeah, no, this is a guy that like he um, you're into each other, but he wants to uh, do more than hold your hand.
2: Ethan, I think I may have told you this story before, um, but my first week of college, you know, I'm new, I'm new there meeting people, whatever. This guy comes up to me after like lunch in the cafeteria and was like, "Hey, I saw you in there. I thought you were really cute. I thought he was really cute. I was excited. I was like, yes, it's finally happening. Um, <laughs> but because I'd been taught this sort of stuff that you're supposed to like, like they're supposed to like ask you out three times before you say yes you're supposed to not be easy to get i was just like oh okay thanks and walked away and yeah. he never talked to me again because he was a normal guy who was, was like she said no and so he left me alone
1: wow you could have had a totally different life <laughs>
0: oh my gosh the um The number of times when anybody of uh, any sexual persuasion has like begun to flirt with me, and I've been like, "I need to throw up by not exactly those words, but like stuff along those lines. I could have had so many different lives, but instead, I was like, "You know if they really want you, they 'll chase after you uh it's um you know it's a beautiful thing, the purity movement it stays in your brain.
1: It's amazing so what's dana gresh up to now
2: oh so as we said purity movement it stays in your brain um this book came out i want to say more than oh, close to 25 years ago now um wow. so the purity movement a lot of people have grown up in it they've been affected by it they're coming back to criticize it but there's all these purity advocates who are trying to respond they're like i mean So yeah, like this has had a lot of negative impacts. I mean, shocker, if you're going to tie a firecracker to a hog, don't be surprised when the barn burns down. Like this did not work out for people. They've had a bad time. Um, And so as the purity movement is trying to respond to it, there's been a lot of rebranding that's happened. Um, And so Dana Gresh is still around. She's still doing stuff. And she's a really good example of this rebrand. So I think you're Probably aware of uh, Joshua Harris. For listeners, Joshua Harris wrote another book like this one called "I kiss Dating Goodbye." And about five years ago had a sort of change of heart. There's a doc- He went to seminary um, and one of his uh, fellow seminarians helped him make this documentary um about reexamining his beliefs and the impact of his book. And Dana Gresh makes an appearance in this documentary. Oh. Um, and so we get to see her say that, You know, people have asked me to drop the term purity, and I've really thought about it. Moms have told me that it was harmful. um, And I really like thought about it. But in the end, I decided it's a biblical term. And so she still chooses to use the term purity. Right. Um, But she's trying to rebrand. Right. Um, So Mm -hmm. a lot of And I think there's probably been a move away from the prosperity gospel angle as well, right? Like now a lot of purity advocates are not trying to say that you're going to have perfect sex in marriage because we know that's not true. People have waited, Christians have been waiting to get married before they have sex, and then they have really bad sexual experiences. Um, So there's a move away from the sort of prosperity angle. Um, But Gresh is still pushing purity, right? She's still teaching the same thing. She's still targeting little girls. Um, she did change, so she had an organization that she changed the name of a couple years ago because the name was Secret Keepers, um, yeah. and a lot of people pointed out, that. yeah. Um, so a lot of people pointed out that this is sort of a, a call to it's it's not a great thing to name an organization for little girls in a culture with a problem with child sexual abuse, right? Right. So she did change the name of that one. She's changed it to True Girl, which I'm a little curious to see how that goes in the next few years, if people have um, sort of critiques of that as uh, like an anti-trans kind of naming. Um, Mm -hmm. That's really just like a a thing I'm kind of keeping tabs on and curious about. So she's making these superficial changes, right? But the message is really still the same. Um, And the big new update is that they have a new book. She and Bob have a new book coming out. Um, it's called Happily Even After. And it is about working through their marriage issues after Bob disclosed his porn addiction. Oh. Yeah. Which, wow. Which, what does that mean? Again, they're doing the same thing, right? Like, she's not saying what that means. She's not saying, like, Bob was not getting his work done because he was spending all day on the computer right it really kind of seems like maybe he's just occasionally watching porn on his own time um and it wouldn't be a big deal for a lot of other couples but it is for them because of their value system it's really unclear they're still doing this game of um because we've only told you so much of our personal story now that we need to rebrand we can sort of frame our marriage, the quality of our marriage, the quality of our life, however we need to, to be able to keep pushing the purity message. And that, that really is kind of where she's at, is she surface level rebrand, but she is still pushing the same
1: core beliefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. How do they sell? How can you, uh, I have to read some books. How can you sell purity culture? To anyone who isn't already primed, right? Um, if you can't promise them like things like sexual fulfillment, say uh, I remember Beth, you telling me like one of the things that is always pre- that that we hear from women who really like the purity movement is there's a a level of safety that they that they believe this will grant them right like or or shielding against being objectified like how how are you able to sell that while acknowledging that some of those things aren't really true in my mind you would have to just rely on like a divine command
2: Yeah. And I think that really, the divine command really is kind of the, what it all boils down to um, when you kind of dissect how they think about their ethics. Um, I think some of it is they just keep the outside world still so scary. Right. Like the purity movement is kind of offering an alternative, an alternative um, way to survive in a patriarchal system to women, right. Where feminism says Mm. like, let's, critique the structures and the systems that make this be a problem in the first place. Uh, the purity movement says like, this is how, like, just withdraw, withdraw from society that is objectifying you in this way, we're gonna objectify you in a different way, but you'll be at least safe. And I think if they can't make it sexy, they can still make it safer than the outside world. Um, and I think a lot of it still remains to be seen how they're going to approach it. But that would be my guess where they're going to go with it.
0: Mm. Mm. But I, but it's all, it's very smart to uh, start branding your stuff toward the people that you grifted in the nineties who are now grownups and have husbands who have porn addictions, you know, mm. like that's the new big bad is porn. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's been the big bad, but because it's so available
2: and it's so easy to go after um yeah. yeah, and porn addiction is such a controversial thing as well, right? Like like what what counts as an addiction? Like setting aside even the ethics of the porn industry, like what counts as an addiction? Um right. Like obviously there are people who use it to a point where it is destructive to their lives personally. Um, But I think a lot of evangelicals, because they have this idea of like, if you look at a, you know, they take this verse from Jesus saying that you, if you look at a woman with lust, it's the same thing as adultery, to mean that like, every woman you've seen a pornographic film of is someone that you now have this tie to that you're impure with. Um, And so for them, just watching any porn at all is addiction.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. I, Hmm. I have a lot of thoughts that mean, make no sense to talk about, but like just thinking about that new book that you mentioned, Beth, Mm -hmm. you're right. Like porn addiction for these folks could mean anything. It could be as mild as from time to time, Bob watches porn and that's really, really bad. Or, or it can be a, uh, uh, the term or porn addiction could be the nice way of saying what's going on with Bob.
2: Hmm.
1: Right? Like, it could be you know what I mean? Like, I think about like, the Josh Duggar stuff.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, I'm not definitely not saying because there's, there's no evidence, at least that I'm aware of to suggest that Bob is like Josh Duggar, but the phenomenon of how they covered that up, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, Josh has struggles, or oh, Josh is tempted or no, I mean, it's it's not that you know Josh, Josh is a is a predator mm. <laughs> who who uh not only has sexually assaulted his siblings but then is a part of a uh, pretty horrific child pornography ring right like that that we know of and, and, yeah. and uh, at, but the way in which he was marketed the way in which they swept it under the rug is just to talk about you know, Josh's weakness, or or they might have even used porn addiction mm-hmm. you know, to talk about that.
2: Yeah, the purity imperative really makes it impossible to talk about these important ethical distinctions. Because if the if the main thing is just all sex outside of marriage bad, you really lose the core of like, why being a predator is different from even just cheating on your girlfriend or, you know, other like other things you lose the ability to identify what is going wrong in a situation right right
0: yeah and that i mean that's also the challenge with like all sins are equal before the eyes of god which is um Hmm. like another selling point that they that that you often find in evangelical theology um and if all sins are equal, then yeah, the same kissing is the same thing as raping somebody, yeah. you know, and that that false equivalence means that you um over punish kissing and you under punish rape or or okay. you're not able to really deal with the reality that's going on
2: yeah.
0: and it, i mean like it creates too even if you get out of it, like even if you are past the purity movement past this this fundamental stuff uh, fundamentalist stuff There still is like that guilt and shame that they instill in you takes a very long time to get out of your system. And so you are prone to overreacting to things that are not a big deal or underreacting to things that are a big deal. And that makes it hard to maintain relationships with people who did not grow up this way. You know, like you, (laughs) you in essence do have to find a partner who can be really understanding of what happened and really willing to deal with it and and you could face such rejection out in the real world that it might send you back to the world that they're in like it's just um uh, that's why it's so insidious like we we said that this book is not as as bad as every man's battle and like in many ways it's a lot less violent right Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still it still shapes you to stay stuck in the world they want you to be in, um, and and it does it in a more palatable way, even though there's some banana stuff in here, it, it does it in a more palatable way where you're like, "Well, this isn't all that bad. I would still never give this book to anybody, right? I would never be like, "This is how you need to think about yourself." Um, but it sounds it can sound a lot more reasonable than what it actually is,
2: yeah. Well, my last thing I would say um, to keep, readers will be happy to know, or listeners will be happy to know, sorry, that Gresh is also continuing her pattern of terrible graphics. Yes. <laughs> because this new book on porn also include her website where she's advertising it, she has this graphic of, it's supposed to be three brain scans, I guess, but it's just random 3D generated blobs. Um, They progressively look more like a crumpled up piece of paper. And the first one says, you're like your normal brain. The second one is a little bit more crumpled looking and says, your brain on heroin. And the third one is really crumpled looking and says, your brain on porn. Just perfect. No notes. No notes.
1: (laughs) That's science, baby. That's science. Porn, even worse for you than heroin. Heroin... uh, (laughs) Traditionally, worse for you than having a normal brain. That's what those. That's what that traditionally.
0: That
1: is. Yeah, I. Uh, I guess it's who knows, right? Like, I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say something totally wrong. Like, if porn really did that, they wouldn't let us watch it. I'm like, well, of course they would. Sugar is worse for us than lots of things. We, <laughs>
2: yeah. we eat it. Uh,
1: that that being said, come on, give me a break. You know, it's also just really
2: <laughs> obvious to me that Dana Gresh has not heard the insult of smooth-brained.
1: Yes, <laughs> never once, never once.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, Beth, this
0: has been very fun. Thanks for coming and introducing us to this book. With it. it was great to uh, be back. Yeah, yeah. We will have to have you back at another point to read another one of these terrible books and just just see how far it goes, you know? Just chase that rabbit until we get all the way down. Perfect. Nobody thought that was funny, so that's fine. Um, no,
1: it wasn't funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you wouldn't back me up earlier when I wanted affirmation, and now you won't laugh at my jokes. The okay, podcast is over. Say,
1: say the punchline one more time.
0: No, I am not going to. I'm going to take it out. All right,
1: hang on. Wrap it all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ooh. Fuck ooh, you. Who needs John Mulaney when you can <laughs> just get like, on? When
0: you've got me. And
1: you can just listen to Joe with these singers.
0: Oh boy. <laughs> Gosh. Anyway, Beth, thanks for coming on. We'll have to have you back. <laughs> Ethan, will you sign us off?
1: I will. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of What that is a Pastor. We are Ethan and Joe and Beth, and we will see you next time.
0: What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schoenwolf, performed by Joe Schoenwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Find us across the internet at WTHIAP or visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet.